Welcome back to Dark Nexus. Tonight, it's Act 2, Chapter 74. We're picking up mid-morning on the 8th of Neth. We're picking up back on the top floor of the dungeon in Fort Halecourse, exactly where we left off last time. Katie Dora's coming to after a vision of multiple events she was apparently part of but has literally no memory of. What What is going through her head right now before we turn it over to some group conversation here? She is like, what the fuck is going on? Um, and she's very distraught at the idea of not being able to trust these abilities. Yeah. Like, life is already uncertain enough with Tima and who owns this body and where the fuck does everybody come from? So, if like this one avenue of information gathering is suspect, it's hugely problematic. Yeah, yeah. Really, one of one of the few things that have felt like true and reliable yes. and such a scant resource. It's like every twenty episodes, we'll do one of these and we'll yeah. get something out of it. But yeah, now it's just like, what the fuck's going on? It's disturbing. So the rest of you have heard that as well. What's going on in this room? Roni is thinking about what he saw about her wounds the night before and wondering if that actually matches up to what he just heard. Yeah, yeah. It it seems as though the idea that these puncture wounds in her gut had, having been caused by exploding slats of a wooden fence, uh, maybe, and that's not true. Maybe they were caused by the jagged ends of a... A behanded arm. Do we have any sense of if we were to go to the whaling house, would we see a blown out fence? Oh, we don't know. That is some, certainly something we could do today. Were we not almost at the whaling house when they found me? No, it was not within no. sight. No. Okay. No. Um, can I make a, a knowledge religion check on what that thing was? Please do. 20. While we were observing this, did we observe Dora taking on this pain and I imagine it looked like Sodora narrates right. in sort of a flat voice what she's seeing, but I bet that when she was describing the ends of someone's hands jabbing <laughs> into her stomach that right. she was jerking reacting. and reacting. And the light's dimming in the room, the space getting darker. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, your dress that you're wearing or the shirt that you're wearing would still have, like, the tears. Oh, yeah. 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 So looking down... There would be blood all over it. Remembering one reason for those tears and having just narrated a completely different reason for them. Yeah. Imagining Dora taking on her dead daughter's creepy voice. Oh, yes. Yeah. Of course. Too. Of course. And that. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> it's as shit. Mummy. So, Johnny, Roni is... From the threads we have here pulling together a memory of a creature called a Vitala. Vitalas are an incredibly rare kind of undead creature, typically categorized as a type of vampire. Like the Penangolin, though, these creatures are not sired by another of their kind. And unlike the Penangolin, they aren't self-made, though. They are said to spontaneously manifest when a child of great power and great potential is murdered and left for dead without acknowledgement or burial. Hmm. Their corpse rises after a time filled with an insatiable hunger 
for experiences and life energy, a force called by some prana. They hunt those that show creative promise or possess a potent force of will, often children, those who have the potential for greatness, hoping to drain the most brilliant fonts of mortal light to fuel their own unnatural embers. 20, you say, huh? The thing that I'd be thinking about is something about the of of Daria like modifying her memory or go. stealing her thought. Like, does that make sense of what this thing is? It absolutely does. So mechanically we can deduce from what I described with this encounter between Daria and Dora. Let's understand that it seemed as though when she stabbed Dora with her arm stumps, there was a uh, paralysis effect that Dora had to keep saving against. So we know the attacks will cause paralysis potentially. This leaning over her mouth and inhaling out of her was this this ability called drain prana. And I think this is what, like you're saying, Johnny, I think this is what Roni is cluing in on. Uh, the Vitala can, uh, if it establishes or maintains a pin or it is uh, with a helpless opponent, it can drain energy, dealing 1d4 points of charisma damage. Knowing this, let's just get it out in the open there, uh, Dora has four points, well, now three, three, now. three points of charisma damage. Additionally, the victim is affected by the spell Modify Memory as if the Vitala had spent five minutes concentrating. The Vitala gains perfect knowledge of any memory it chooses to eliminate using this ability and often uses it to prevent victims from remembering that they've been attacked. And as we kind of piece together, Dora has some memory of some of the initial conversations she had with the folks in the neighborhood before the Vitala memory starts taking over there. And this idea that everyone has always known this place was totally safe and non-haunted. And it's fine if the kids spend the night there. I mean, nobody's hurt, no big deal. But, you know, Roni in his paranoid state can start to picture over a decade of hunting on children in this house and removing from them the memory that they had had their future, their potential, their soul sort of sucked out of them in these draining sessions. Like what that would do to the town too, of like just these sort of like listless, lifeless yeah. children growing up to be adults. Thinking maybe it's just best if I forget about that, or that's not really my concern, or I'm not too worried about what I'm seeing over there because like there's just, there's something missing from a whole bunch of people who, who either live in that area or who who went there as kids or maybe have gone back there some nights as adults and don't have any memory of it. It's a really disturbing ability that this thing has. And I'd say to give you one more thing kind of in the same vein here, Johnny, I don't think you know a lot of crunch, but you know this, this Drain Vitala ability. And you also know that they have the ability to possess both living creatures and corpses. So it's also possible that Daria could have been walking around town, riding people's bodies, and then erasing their memory that they had ever done that. Yeah, it's a disturbing, it's a disturbing little creature. 
What else would you know from the description of the encounter? We know the paralysis. Let me take a knowledge arcana check from I think the two of you that have that, because there was some stuff going on that was not prana, that was not Vitala based. Twenty three. <laughs> Rolled a two. Sixteen. As as the as the creature invisible passed over Dora's head, she 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 got, she suffered a confusion effect. She suffered momentary insanity, and there were waves of sort of helplessness washing into her. This is not something that Roni thinks of as being associated with Vitalas specifically, but that there that are there are like one of the psychic disciplines that Roni thinks of being aware of is called the sorrow discipline and their particular jam is kind of infecting others around them with their madness to either make them confused or to chip away that's kind of like a hex kind of thing they can chip away at their ability that their rolls on attack rolls saving those skill checks that kind of stuff so this thing is also like a psychic spellcaster that is that is what Roni would begin to thinking yikes Put that together with the fact that it was invisible, which you have never heard of Vitala's doing. Yeah, you're looking at a spellcasting soul vampire. Neat. That erases your memory. <laughs> wow. But we, there was the memory uh, of, not Dora, of Tima preparing the finger bones, right? Of like with the body and stuff. So the body was taken care of, wasn't it? <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> the hands may have been taken care of. The yeah, may I th- have been removed. Yeah, I think I think Johnny Roney might be then picturing a body being unceremoniously dumped somewhere <laughs> after Tima very carefully did the thing that was important to her. I'm going to take a piece, and this is this is mine now. Yeah. God, <laughs> it's really fucked up. So it does seem as though two people have been drawn back to that location location as essentially the most important place in their lives. Yeah, what about Ray with what we what we heard? What do we think is going on with Ray? Yeah, I think you would process that or as... Or do I need to make a different religion nah, check? No, or? I think you'd process it as that was a momentary satiation of the ghost's rage at that particular time, but you know that ghosts rejuvenate and Dora let, you would process Dora's feeling from that memory not as like Ray is taken care of just like who I found a way to calm Ray down tonight is what that felt like mm. or now you don't you know period of time but is it possible that what Ray needs to be put to rest is for Daria to be put to rest <laughs> Or would that anger the ghost further? Unknown. <laughs> oh my god. Well, according to the memory, yeah. Giving, offering Ray the finger bones was the the uh, changing factor. So if we were able to offer Ray, here is the remainder of <laughs> your sister. <laughs> Here's more corpse. Is Ray a haunt now? Uh, no, Ray is a ghost. Yeah, Ray is a is a full on ghost. 
he may have to be purged to be put to rest. Yeah, it may be hard to get him to go away. <laughs> you wanted, Polly? It's perfect. You asked me to make it as disturbing as possible. Yeah, that's it, perfect. This is, this is really as this is massively disturbed thing. It's perfect. Oh, I look forward to fighting Ghost Rain. Oh, God. <laughs> but first, Iris Hill. Yeah. Yeah, so what is our next move? What well, do we need to do next? So we were in the middle of still going through some of the stuff oh, we yes, walked yes. out of. Do we want to continue that project first? Yeah. What do we have left? I don't think we have anything left that's magical. I think that we did all that because that that would have been only... My Identify would have only been existing for X number of rounds kind of thing. We have the interview documentary notebooks that have not really been flipped through beyond... Oh, that's what these are, and you quickly grabbed them. I think that's the only packet of stuff. But is that not an eight-hour project? You're not going to know that until you kind of give it all preliminary go through you want to you want to do that yeah and i will again because of the traps and stuff yep. like make sure that there's no traps or let's make sure nobody turns into a sepia snake yep <laughs> so stupid and it looks great it's a with a with a 19 it looks fantastic to me okay uh so we're all gathered around Moni. no i would just i would be i would still be the one that is like flipping it open kind right of thing. there for the traps to go off That's what I would do. I would think that I was good, and then I would be... But I would still not do it in front of anybody. I would make sure that I was off to the side kind of thing. Oh, boy. And then we'll see what happens. So, uh, across the way, in the corner of the the dungeon that you have gathered in, while Roni has you all stand clear, as he's pretty sure that this is... (laughs) It's all clear. I got got this. I got this. I got this, this, Ray. You got this, Roni. He starts flipping through to see what he's dealing with here. Uh, You know, like, just starting, it's like, oh, I can see that from the density of the amount of text and the... (laughs) 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 An enormous explosion of force goes off. Give me a reflex save there, Johnny. Oh, so I get a plus one trap sense, so (laughs) that adds to my... Add that shit on. I will add that shit on, because that might be the difference between me, like, getting trapped in a uh, giant globe of force or getting my head blown off or something. Let's see here. Probably it'll be fine. Okay, let's see what happens. Oh, no! (laughs) That's very bad! (gasps) That's a third... 13. How many dice do you have in your hand? Oh, I got. Uh, I'm not oh, even gonna wow. tell you. That was hey, a, you want to use an action a, point there, buddy? That was a, inspiration. That was a twelve <laughs> on the dot. That's a two plus ten plus. Oh man. Uh, let's see. Let what do I got left? A little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> this is not sepia snake no. sigil. This is an explosion. This is a serious spell. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. This one matters. Are we all in it though? Last no, time no, I was no, in no. it. He got, he got you across the list. We got you across okay. I've got inspiration. We're back up to five. All right. Well, I it's guess only a, it's only a 10 foot radius burst on this one. So, like, <laughs> bam! <laughs> Just. And then pieces of running go flying. Oh my God. All right. Well, let's see what I can get up to with rolling a inspiration. That's a 17. Oh, God. All right. I Tell will me blow. when you're done adding points. I will. <laughs> I, I only have two shame points left. Oh, probably want to save them, huh? Hmm. <laughs> the whole rest of the book. 
Yeah, How I've many only chapters got two left. Could there be left? I mean, we're, it's basically just a hand wave, right? right? I mean, just and we take care of Melissa. I know. That's where I'm just like. <laughs> I mean, if this could kill you, you have no choice. Then, then you are not a rat. That is a resource the rest of us don't have for the rest of the book. Oh, don't <laughs> do it, Johnny. Don't do it. <laughs> You're right. fine. You've made the save. <laughs> I'll stop being a dick. <laughs> You take ha ha ha! Whoa! Whoa! Shit! Uh, okay, so that oh, is. I'm guessing you see lots of sixes. Uh huh. Yeah, 18, 23, 25. Oh. Half of that is 12. So 12 points of damage to Roni. Okay. Uh, it's it's an enormous, enormous explosion. Oh, buddy. Ooh. But I managed to dive through a <laughs> yes. large portion of it. Yes, you do. You do. Uh, but you end up quite battered and bruised. I got this. <laughs> oh. I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah, he's literally like <laughs> laying down on his back. Don't worry about me. Unmoving. And then like a hand just kind of comes up and goes, I got this. <laughs> a puff of smoke. Yes. <laughs> dust as he coughs. Uh, I'm all right. I'm going to need to use that wand right. again, which has... Five charges left. Mm. Oh boy, we're screwed. Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we are. All right. Yep. We're down to three charges. I don't suppose a Centilar Rui has just been crafting cure potions on that ship the whole time. Centilar. Left his supplies behind because Ronnie remember was going to break in and no take way. them. <laughs> we did that is canon. We actually established that in chapter seventy-two. Damn our thieving natures. Yeah, yeah. So having uh, set that off, flipping through a little more carefully, you can tell that this looks like it'll take about four hours to comb through, plus or minus maybe a little modifier based on an intelligence roll, rather than like an eight-hour chunk of time. So this looks like a potentially a shorter thing to sort of parse through. It does seem to be a lot of sketches and then quotes of dialogue. So this is like, this is, you can picture sort of Lowell's drawing what Zandalus was charcoal sketching or painting while Lowell's was talking to him and then jotting down little things in quotation marks and maybe like, a follow-up question, this, that, that, and that. But you can tell, like, you know, there's there's not too, too long to comb through this compared to the size of a library or the size of even the records room uh, in the fourth where you're currently at right now. But so you said this was this, not this book, but the, uh, the spell book was made in the same way as the formula book that I carry around. Correct. And the formula book that I carry around, to the best of our knowledge, belongs to... Vaticus. Correct. But that would mean that Vaticus also has a wizard tome of bard spells. Mm. Or that he made it did for somebody. some of the bookmaking Got in it. this operation. Like as Dora pictures that scene with Vaticus with Ray on his knee, she can imagine this guy as someone who probably does like to go into the workshop and like spend the day doing some leather working. Mm-hmm between teaching his son to hate his mother and whatever other nonsense he was up to. And so he found some time to, like, take a little bard dip? Is that the... Unknown there. Unknown there. In terms of... This is definitely in with Lowell's stuff, not Vaticus's stuff. Oh, Uh, sure. This is what I was going to ask, like, do... 
from this, can we glean anything about Lowell's, like knowing that he might be some sort of bard variant? Like, is there any kind of like knowledge local check or knowledge nobility or anything the, like that that we the could make? Guy, you one shot was a bard, right? No, not no? that you know. You have no idea. You have no reason to think that He's or not. Just dressed nicely. Yeah, they're all dressed. <laughs> but that's the thing, right? So, like, the Haster cultists that are into the yeah. decadence part are going to revel in fine wines, fine clothing, that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I, I smell what you're cooking, Johnny. I don't think there's much to get, but give me a, a local check. All right. 15. 15. I would say you would, based on what you know, if you were to try to put a mechanical name to Lowell's, you would probably put uh, aristocrat, like aristocrat class levels, based on his upbringing and the skills and knowledge he demonstrated publicly. Fair enough. Way back at the beginning of the last chapter, uh, in a little narrative about Ray and Daria walking to the mm-hmm. Wailing House, mm-hmm. Daria seemed to refer to Gulliver as Dr. Vaticus, mm-hmm. and Ray uh, uh, referred to him as Dad. Yeah. That's purposeful, I assume. Is I think you can safely assume if I've written it down, I've probably put some thought, thought into about it. Yeah. it. Um, so that uh, Vaticus, while Daria has the last name Vaticus, perhaps she is not Gulliver's daughter. May or may not be. Mm-hmm. We, we definitely know that Tima thought of her as her daughter. her daughter, for sure. And that Ray thought of her as his sister. I think beyond that. And best friend. Yeah. Only. only. Best and only. Beyond that, I think we're still making guesses. Okay. okay. So we know we have a couple of research activities that could take four or eight hours. We know we still have, if we want to, try to find out how many people died or got sick or what happened in the after, sort of the aftermath report from last night. That will take between one and four hours. So there's a bunch of activities that could be done inside one eight-hour chunk of time. Uh, but I know you were all also talking about as well the amount of <laughs> counseling that still needs to be done. Were you were you thinking about? Uh, I kind of feel like we have to do the counseling, right? I f- I feel that grip especially needs counseling. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. That I don't think we can let that go. So that all of you get your own house in order for fuck's sake. Quit looking at me. Two people's eight-hour track. Is there anybody in this group? Of people that we have helped that would be of <laughs> better suited. <laughs> Anybody from that the we could that we could talk to or anything like that. The dice will decide. A luck a luck roll. I rolled Cleta Binter's wisdom score, and it is sixteen. So that would be a plus three on a attempt to get a DC fifteen. And Dad, would what? cure three points if if you wanted to make use of her. I would say Dabwick has um, doesn't have spells prepared until later today. You, you can't really do anything else. Can't really do anything else. So Dabwick would s- certainly be happy to sit with Grip. Gripper and the Dabs. Gripper that feels dabs. good to me. I, I, and Dora might be interested in the research, the four-hour research. Mm-hmm. Starting some of the shorter research projects? Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to figure out a reason why I would want to talk to Cleta Binter about... Everything, because you know you're not going to talk to Dad. Yeah. I mean, if you want to have therapy with Dora, that 
say so. She's not thinking along those lines. She's well, a you, little messed up right now. Uh, you did have that, so that the one encounter that we role-played with her very early on, mm-hmm. you went out of your way to assure her that this whole only look at me when you're told, only speak when you're told thing is is over. You asked her questions about, you know, her, you, you opened up a door there. And obviously now, you know, let's be real about the way the people in this keep are regarding the four of you, which is... You know, it's beginning to turn towards these fucking people are, you know, they're not thinking of you as the saviors of the town yet because this is a horror game and, you know, they're all bleak and kind of mind-wiped a bit. But, um, you know, they're they're really looking up to you and they're really thinking highly of you. So if you asked one of them to help you, you know, I, I, how would you go about it? I, I know. That's the thing I'm trying to think of, like, I don't know. I don't know that I would be in a place where I could ask for help. Because are they all a part of it? Like, you don't know, like, who you ask? You know, maybe maybe that's the way in. Maybe it's the sort of thing of, like... Can I give I, you a note? Can I give you a note? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. You spent the night roaming around with Seek Thoughts going <gasps> last night. Yes. These people are all trustworthy. They're all as trustworthy. As long as none of them leave. Okay, okay, but what when I'm when I'm thinking about these things and stuff, and <laughs> what, does, what do I pick up from her that makes me go, oh, this is someone I could talk to? Well, but the way that spell works is, are they thinking about trying to screw me over? And no, is, was the answer. You know, were they? Uh, you were trying to determine who uh, who's a spy, who's, who's a spy, and who's, who's infiltrating. Th- and so you don't you, you don't actually read their surface thoughts. You read who knows who's thinking about that. And th- and here's why. Mm-hmm. So I go up to her thinking like, oh, she's still going to be like, even if she's not a spy or even if she's not um, uh, a cultist, she's going to be thinking like. I'm going to stick a knife in that guy's back because he, he made my life like a living hell. <laughs> and she's not thinking that. She's not. She's thinking like, I, 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 wish, I, could, I wish I could help too. Yeah. There's, some, there's something in her that's going like, oh, like he's actually changed and I want to. She's actually worried about some of her uh, dwarven friends who uh, aren't currently accounted for. Got it. That's where she's focused on. She's worried about her She's worried about her team, her group. You know, she's thinking, She's she has feelings of concern about some folks who were a little turned off by Dems. All right. All right. Then, then, uh, then we're I... We're all I, in it together. Yeah. <laughs> Except for you, the dwarves. <laughs> so I think then what happens is I'm going around sort of talking to people and trying to get a little bit of actual report of like who's missing and stuff and sure. start to have a conversation with her mm-hmm. about her being worried about her friends. And I start to talk about how I've been worried about my friends too and sort of letting a little bit of sort of like this memory horror yeah. stuff that we've been going through slip out slip out yeah 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 I like that okay Dabs sitting with the grips I mean Dabs was there to see Grip be uh, attacked by the yeah you you saw most of the damage that Grip took last night right and we went down the, yeah. the well together we yeah, it's you, been a tight yeah. 24 hours for... Your buddies in arms. ...for us. Yeah. Give me a wisdom check. Will do. That was a 13. Do you want to use an action point? You know the DC is 15. Yeah. So, I'm. you know what? I'm going to do that. Because I've got enough... Got some to spare? To spare. So, that would be a total of 18. Excellent, and your wisdom modifier is four. Is that right? That is correct. Grip is down to ten sanity damage. 
Well, thank you there, Duke. You're welcome. You've got a very easy way about you. You're easy to talk to and you're all right. I'm glad we're friends. Clatabentum. I didn't say that. Hey, 13 on the die, so... Roni, you get three points of sanity damage back after your discussion with Cleta. Down to five. Now I'm in the lead. Yes. <laughs> and you probably caught, Katie, that you did suffer one point from your encounter with Yeah, because I, I looked on my sheet and it was, it was like, 11. It says 11. Rob like, just said 12. Just yeah. Said, I'll just put 12. I'll just put 12 <laughs> for I now. trust him. Don't know why, but I do. And then, Dora, what do you want to dig into? You want to start with these yeah. uh, interview oh, documents? Yeah, Give me an intelligence check. Bad rolls today. Ten. Okay. Uh, it does take four hours. Yep. You glean some high-level information from these documents. Amongst the many terrors that haunted him every night, Oliver dreamt of Carcosa. Of course, you know this. And he dreamt extensively about Starsteely. Many of them. And there's a ton of details Lowell's recorded as he specifically probed about this star Stella, that star Stella and as he went from talking to Zandalus while he sketched to reading his thoughts which is the point in Lowell's investigations when things started to crack open but so much of the detail here is chaos and confusion and this isn't the place where Lowell's recorded his conclusions it's the place he recorded his data Mm -hmm. so like on a meta level here spending this time these journals will now serve you as essentially one key to the library you're going to have to tackle and having possession of these and having read them will give you a plus one bonus on your skill checks in that library love it ideas you can like cross-reference dates with discoveries connect dots a little easier you can also pick up some little details from Lowell's handwritten notes and the margins. Mostly things I think you might have been able to infer, but just in case. The story of Henri Mert Main's final expedition comes together in much plainer terms than maybe you understood, understood them before. It's something that Lowell's was trying to figure out as well. So it all happened in the year 4685, 33 years ago. We, we may have known that date from one of the documents in Act 1, uh, but you know that for sure now. The expedition itself was in Kadira, which I don't believe we actually knew specifically. Let me give you a little inner sea map here. So Kadira is a kingdom on the Kazmaran continent on the east coast of the Obari Ocean, just south of Taldor. It's an old and incredibly wealthy land with a long history of living with and treating with jinn, genie kind. It's like 1,500 miles to the south. Now, Mirt Main was essentially Indiana Jones. That's how you should picture him. And he found that this cult had discovered an ancient tomb containing the Chain of Knights. Mirt Main led his company on a raid against the cult, stole the Chain of Knights out from under them. However, in the process, most of his team died, and several, including Zandalus, were kidnapped. To Mertmain's credit, he didn't abandon them. The cult moved their kid, their their uh, victims to a different location and drugged and tortured them. But Mertmain, in the end, found them and rescued Zandalus. But of course, by that point, it was too late for his traumatized mind. And as you start to read between the lines and understand that, uh, you understood that all that they saw and experienced and read was also a lot for Mirtmain. 
and that Mertmain felt this massive responsibility of ensuring that everything he'd learned about the existence of the King in Yellow and his cult was something that Mertmain vowed to ensure never saw the light of day. So the most famous archaeologist on the continent went from being a public figure to a recluse overnight just so he wouldn't have to talk to anybody about what he saw and knew with anybody, even and especially his best friends. I don't remember like where... You know, your ideas about Mertmain were so early and hazily formed, but, uh, you know, there was maybe suspicion of, like, you know, was he a cultist or something like that? Like, this idea of him vanishing now seems, it's going to read to you as a little more altruistic. That feels very much like someone who has been infected with Shaman Dor. It kind of does, doesn't it? It's yeah. like, I gotta be away from everybody, I'm dangerous. Must not talk to anybody. From Lowell's writings, you learn definitively that Oliver Zandalus feared and hated the King in Yellow, and especially hated that the only tool that he had at his disposal to stop dreaming about him was to recite in his mind lines from the play which bears his name, which of course now we know is in and of itself an occult ritual. Um, But if he could recite these lines in his head, he could keep himself awake. During the days when the cult, uh, during his days with the cult, when they drugged him and tortured him to keep him awake and watching while they performed all their blasphemous crap, they were always chanting lines and scenes from this play. And Zandalus developed this sort of like sense, memory, psychophysical response. And forever after, as long as he thought, or or in his final days said those words aloud, like we, what do we hear? We heard uh, lay, lay aside, lay aside all disguise, unmask, unmask. It's time. It's time. These are lines from the play. As long as he said those or thought those, he could keep his body awake for supernaturally long stretches of time. However, that, of course, would catch up to him in the end. And then that would lead to the night terrors and damage to his body and stuff. So he feared doing that. But in case there was any lingering leftover, like, was Oliver Zandalus also a bad guy left in you? I think you would leave this feeling like, no, 100% a victim, like trying to do everything within his power to, you know, in the case of the end of book one, like literally stay awake forever so as not let the tatter man out. It got a little creepy when you heard him reciting Caster stuff, of course. Um, but you now you know definitively in case any of that hasn't sort of like meta seeped through. Uh, so, of course, you be able to piece all of that, and then you can use this as a little key when you tackle your library. Mm-hmm. So that takes about four hours. You are in the keep. Do you want to give a start, take a start at the records room, Katie? Yeah. Give me an intelligence check. Thirteen. So we have several more hours than the eight-hour window. If you are, if you want to have this be your day up until dusk, Katie, yeah, you can get through it. That's what I would like to do. Just right. so I don't have to think about Daria for one more second. I'm <laughs> putting off the Daria conversation. <laughs> so we'll assume as I as I get to the end of these four little tidbits that that Dora is going to pull from this that the three of you are, are wrapping up your counseling sessions and, and rejoining her. So you do find in a cabinet of recent documents, uh, you do find that they do indeed contain uh, arrest records for Raiden Vaticus, uh, multiple instances of them. One in particular after he started a brawl at the Silver Wagon. The arrest resulted in Ray spending the night in a cell below Fort Hillcourse and Lowell's having to pay a fine of 50 gold pieces to get him out. 
and then 200 gold pieces more to just make the record of all of his previous brushes with the law disappear. But they're all still here. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe the magistrate wasn't entirely on the up and up uh, on his own. One cabinet contains records of a long-running, complicated series of grievances filed and lawsuits presented against Count Lowell's by the owner of the Booklayer's Shop, a man named Charles Dormer. It seems to have started a few years back when Dormer brought a simple grievance to the magistrate about not being paid for an extremely rare book, and Lowell's was ordered to pay the price of it. It seems that months passed, never issued payment, so the bookstore owner, Dormer, filed suit against him. Lowell's fought back, but during discovery, it seemed as though the plaintiff found evidence of county funds being diverted by Lowell's to multiple bookstores across the region. This escalated things, and then suddenly a quarter of Dormer's stock, quote, went missing one night. Uh, He filed another suit alleging larceny and intimidation. And then word came that Dormer's sister in Thornstep and her whole family had died. Suddenly, from a fall. A fall. All of them. Not long after that, the file was closed. After Dormer failed to show up for court dates, and notes indicate that Dormer left town with his remaining stock without a word to anyone. One cabinet contains a memo. (laughs) This will be fun, I think. Starting getting grip. I think that you and I did a little uh, Uh little disappearing. Uh huh. One cabinet contains a memo around 20 years old documenting an official interrogation of Count Hazerton Pragmas Lowell's IV about the unexplained death of his mother, Namira, <laughs> made at the request of her elder brother, so the Count's uncle. The response from Lowell's was that his mother died suddenly from the same strange disease that had recently killed his father and that she was buried privately in the family crypt under Iris Hill, and her remains were not to be disturbed per Ferasman doctrine. Despite strong protest from Namira's family in curse, and as also noted in the memo, an offer of a substantial bribe, read in the notes, the magistrate of the time was unable to gain legal access to Iris Hill to investigate further. And then finally, in the same cabinet, from only a matter of weeks before that, There is a memorandum summarizing the proceedings of a trial for high treason against a certain Dr. Clemis Pret, an occult bookseller from Rosenport. Count Hazerton Lowell's III, our Count's dad, was still alive then, but sick with some wasting illness of unknown origin, leveled a laundry list of accusations against Pret. In brief, Lowell's claimed that Pret and Namira had been lovers while at university at the Cincomacti School, and that he'd never, quote, released her from his lusty clutches, and that they'd been having an affair for decades, and that, spurred by his obsession for Namira, Pret poisoned Lowell's III, and that he was the cause of the illness he couldn't shake. And then, Katie, this is the thing that catches Dora's eye at the end here as the rest of you are joining her. Clemus Pret was ultimately sentenced to die in his cell below the fort. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the cold thing we didn't... Yeah, there was one locked and untouched and dust-covered door that radiated cold that uh, none of you went near, and it seems as though even the scum avoided from any of those, do we have any idea who the gentleman who was captured in the force bubble, Sigia, 
The sepia snake sigil. sigil. That was one of Mellison's cultists. Oh, got it. Yeah, I think the story you would dig up, you would deduce from that is so hell's filled with caster cultists who are like, "What's this? What's that? What's that? What's that?" <laughs> and, and then, then touching things they weren't supposed to. And then she's like, "Here's a warning for you: Don't touch my fucking shit." Got it. So what I'm do we want to? What do we want to do? <laughs> so we're veering on to the time when the sullen starling would be reapproaching. The three of you would have at least like a two or three hour still window of time if there's any sort of last things you want to wrap up. I mean, we did want to talk to everybody and see like who's been taken, who's still missing, who's, you know. For sure. And also, I think I think looking at how little uh, healing we have, I think we would, again, see if there's anything <laughs> that we could reach out to any, like, I know that we did a roll before, but. This is, you're talking like stuff people are, have stashed in their homes. Yeah, like literally anything at all. Maybe the sleepless agency keeps a stock of items or things. Because at this point we'd be going, you know, we are this town's hope to be able, like, we are more than happy to pay you for these resources, but if you were sitting on something and you were like, we need these resources to go back and fight yep. off these cultists and everybody else. So Now's the time to tell us if you got Now's the time it. to tell us if you got anything at all. Allard would turn over two potions of cure light wounds and a potion of invisibility to you. Mm-hmm. Lucky Jay would turn over two more potions of cure light wounds. Oh, and another potion of invisibility. Meg has a potion of cure mod. This would also be a time, as we've discussed, you could easily, the three of you while you're making your way around, gathering up some some potions and stuff, stopping by the High Mart and like grabbing just common adventuring supplies, which we're not going to worry about on air, but you've never had so far before. We'll we'll detail those later down the road if we need to, but otherwise we'll just assume you've got them. Let's say if you have if you have projectile weapons and you're low on arrows or bolts or something, mm-hmm. just put yourself up to, to 20 or whatever you want to feel comfortable. Ammunition is grabbable. People are, are happy to share that stuff. Let me... So, uh, you muster up four more potions of cure light. And these are not from sleepless agency folks, so let's pay for them. And two more potions of cure mod. Nice. Mm-hmm. So, how much did that cost us? Eight hundred. So, as grip and. Roni and Dabs make their way around town. The tail end of Dora's records room research. Here's what you pick up. There was some property damage and loss of supplies at the depository, which you knew. Uh, But Lenk was saved by Grip and all in all acknowledges that the whole place would have gone down without him. Also, Lenk says to Grip, "Uh, Constable, uh, I finally got a pigeon uh, this morning uh, for Skywind. If, if you see her, can you pass on the word that the message from Turnhart finally arrived this morning. Our apologies for the delay. Uh, assuming nothing goes wrong on the roads, he's expecting that the shipment should arrive on either the 10th or the 11th. If you could pass that along, oh, wow. I'd be grateful. Aye. Situation is similar at the smokehouse. Property damage, loss of supplies, but nothing they can't recover from. And seeing all those kids out on the street... Sounds like maybe has made everyone in that neighborhood start to rethink the blind eye they've been turning to Lysi's operation for many, many years. 
Maybe there'll be some changes there. There was only one life lost to the silver wagon, a poor soul rooming on the third floor who perished before Dora and Dabs even got there. And you can verify that after Roni's speech to Milosh, nobody did anything stupid. So only one dead there. The chapel has completely collapsed. Do you have knowledge engineering, Johnny? You must, yep. right? Give me a check. Is that where bloated guy went? Yep. 28. There is no sign of sawing or hacking or construction type damage to the building, but peering through the wreckage there, Roni finds a whole bunch of wood that has been supernaturally bent out of shape. Warped? Warped wood. As though multiple instances of the warp wood spell have been applied to this structure at exactly the right places to uh, weaken it and make it collapse. Could I make like a spellcraft check to know who would, who or what would be able to generally do that? Roll die 20 for me and let me look at your sheet. Let me look at your sheet. Let me see your sheet. All right. Sorry, you have gray eyes. <laughs> it says you have blue. Sixteen on the die. That was fun. <laughs> Sounds like a druid spell. I believe it is. Okay, some dots are connected between warped wood, a destroyed house of worship, and a strangely bloated man mm. that nobody recognizes. Mm-hmm. Roni is able to pull up memories of a particular form of undead creature called a Keeper of the Yellow Sign. Mm-hmm. These are Haster cultists who willingly sacrifice their souls to rise as Haster's servant after death. They are quiet but relentless champions of the unspeakable one who bring anxiety and woe to the lives of any infidel who comes too close to the secrets of its master. Like a vampire, they can easily pass for a living human, if they so wish, although they tend to have a pale, unhealthy look and swollen features that can give away their true nature to those who know what to look for. They are feeble and sluggish in the sunlight, uh, often easily mistaken for a sickly vagrant or or a leper if seen in the open during the day. In the darkness, however, they grow supernaturally strong and attentive, and their eyes glow with a malignant yellow luminescence. So you know these beings, they are undead. They are surrounded by, surrounded by a, how big is it? A 30-foot aura of gloom and repulsiveness. Ugh. Basically, fail your saving throw, and you're stuck with a minus one penalty on attack rolls and saves versus fear effects while within the aura, and for seven minutes after leaving it. Oh my god. Great. <laughs> It's depressing. Um, It's very depressing. You know that they energy drain. They slam you with their fists, and they can deal actual negative levels to you. And if they do this, they, of course, gain temporary hit points. And, oh, God. Uh, It's a roll of the dice for them. Every time they kill somebody with this ability, there is a chance that the wash of energy back into their body explodes them. <laughs> Dealing oh. negative levels to everybody in a 15-foot radius. Love it. <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Well, did if, they find any bodies there? Uh, no bodies. 
It's like my pickled punk got all grown up. Yes. <laughs> if uh, if any negative level bestowed by a keeper becomes permanent, the victim must succeed at a DC 17 will save or die following one hour of delirium. Fuck. Good God. Well, I'm not Fucked sorry up. we missed that event. You would know that they need to be damaged by magical silver weapons. Oh, God. As far as the Will-O-Wisp situation goes, a couple is found south of Centilar Rui's house charred with electricity burns. Two dead. But also, a pair of well-dressed women wearing identical curious Triskelion necklaces were found outside of the neighborhood, seemingly fleeing back up towards Iris Hill. They killed two citizens and two of Mellison's cultists. <laughs> nice. Nice. Up at the High Mart, you learn that one person died from the vampire attack just prior to Grip and Dab's arrival. I think the two of you knew that, but I don't know if the rest of you did. You find out that a small group did make their way up to Iris Hill on a scouting mission just to scope the place out, just in case the town from the High Mart yes, crowd. could take, take the fight to them. Two of their number were peppered with arrows from the undead soldiers before the rest made their retreat. So uh, three dead there. The well situation's a little tricky to figure out exactly, but putting together word on the street from various sources, it sounds like maybe maybe only about five people ended up getting a little bit sick today, and possibly no unexplained poisoning deaths. That could have been in the hundreds dead. Oh, wow. Uh, so five got sick. Nobody died. And then from the dwarves, does sound like a couple of families did slip off into the woods, and their fate is unknown for now. And then five o'clock rolls around, and I'm picturing Roni up on top of the keep. Yep. Pistol in hand, waiting to catch sight of the approaching Selen Starling. So at five o'clock, indeed, Roni does see, emerging from the mists of Lake and Carthen, uh, a large riverboat. A large riverboat, a very familiar boat, a boat upon which we've spent most of this act emerging and cautiously approaching town. He's going to fire the uh, the flare off. Bang! The Selen Starling moves to Remoor, back where you first discovered it. Why don't we have Dabs go do their spell prep at this moment as well? Dabwick walks up Crocus Hill at dusk to get a view of the town from above. First, they orient themselves to the Stella on Gladiolus Hill, where they discovered those murdered people. And uh, then they warmly eye the keep, dark and hollow appearing on the outside, but Dabwick knows they're full of saved souls. Mm -hmm. Then over east to the magical hedge surrounding that unnatural uneasy silence hovering over Iris Hill. They look over to the docks and see the sullen starling and recall the fight when the scum attacked the ship the night their new friends referred to as the Great Harvest. They try to recall the placement and orientation of the chalk drawings in the buildings on the buildings in town and eventually Dabwick settles themselves in the tall grass and begins to envision a thrushmore consumed by Carcosa. Streets abandoned and desolate, crumbling walls beneath towering domes, towers with seven, no, seventeen, no, twenty-seven gables, huge buttresses twisting across the sky like the legs of a giant arachnid god, creating an alien architecture defying gravity and engineering in any fucking sense. Dabwick stares unblinking and doesn't notice that they are salivating. 
There are cities across the reaches of imagination and science, from worlds beyond the stars, worlds without stars, stars in the dark, swollen, purple, yellow, yellow, throbbing, thrumming with decay, with death, and, and madness. A pool is forming under Dabwick's chin as they stare unseen at the horrible vision. This conglomerate city is not a wonder worthy of worship, but some kind of forgotten cosmic grave, and the overwhelming sense of loss and insanity takes their breath away. They come out of it eventually, cleaning themselves up and whimpering a little. They realize they are beyond scared. There's something the others know. Something they aren't sharing with Dabwick. And Dabwick knows it's a protection, but the desire to know, to hear what they want to tell them becomes feverish for a second. For a few minutes, Dabwick can think of nothing else but demanding they tell them everything. Everything. Selen Starling is back. Dabs has finished meditating. Dora's finished researching. All right, here's here's a real metagamey question. Bring it. So for this idea, I'm assuming that we're talking about like the last battle of like going up and trying to take everybody out. Is that what we're talking about? I mean, that's I mean that's where we're at, right? Yeah, have that conversation. And if we wanted to do that, would we then be like backup buddies and everybody, or is that even something that we're allowed to do? No, you're not allowed to do that. Okay. I, I mean, I was thinking the backup buddies should stay at the fort and protect. Great. Take the over leadership there. there. Yes. Yeah. Then I then I would definitely say we should ask Barnabas to use that book of the lore master and try to get any last bits of information about any of the foes that we know and go, what do you know about uh, Peninglins? What do you know about the the thing that we just heard of, the Keeper of the Yellow Sign? What do you know about Denizens of Lang? What do you like? So basically like three more, three more checks. Do you take your pick and then uh, Barnabas will can take a, take like a 10 or 20, whatever thing, however that works. And they get a plus five on it. How does that ability work? Open that sheet. Open the sheet. Open that sheet up. Stasi has very good knowledge checks, too. Yeah, I think we can't metagame-wise bring the other party to the fight, but I right. love this idea of exploiting their knowledge. That, that, we are that's not, why, that's yeah. why I wanted to ask the two questions and go like, all right, if we're not going to actually be able to use them to go up there, then we would at least be like, here's what we know. Yeah. Do you guys know anything about this? Yes. So the Lord ability. How does that work? Oh, Barnab- that's a seventh level bard abil- uh, scald ability. So Barnabas does not have that ability. But however, Stasi can't they can still make checks. The book, but she gets a, to add her wisdom modifier to knowledge checks to identify abilities and stuff. Yeah. So she's got a pretty good. She's got pretty good check. So um, you got your. You got you, both of you have those sheets open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, name some things and we'll see if they know anything else. Knowing things is the best. <laughs> I like knowing. Then, Knowledge is power. So do we we wanted to we want to check on the vampires again? You want to start with those? The, the, the penangolin. Two, two of you make a check on the penangolin. It's and on that's, uh, uh, knowledge religion. Uh, that's a that's a twenty. I, I don't get any extra pluses, right? It's Correct. just my yeah. So that's a twenty. Twenty-seven. Yes, Stasi has learned about these in her studies. And she would add to the pool of knowledge that you already have. I don't think you know this. 
The Penangolin's entrails drip with a foul bile that blisters and weakens living flesh. Any creature damaged by a Penangolin's sl slam attack must make a fortitude save or take... Oh, 1d4 dex and 1d4 charisma damage. Oh, Which enemy is this? This is the uh, <laughs> Penangolin, the head, the floating head. Jeez. Good question. Um... Let me see if there's anything else to be gleaned from that. Oh, wait. Did, yeah, yeah. We, did we ever figure out what the undead soldiers were and how to hurt them? We still haven't seen them. <laughs> yeah, but we, we can no, describe them. You can now. And you did make a check after the the downstairs barracks fight, so you could describe them to Stasi. We'll see what she knows. Uh, let me just add to, if you haven't gotten this already, you already know the Penangolin has got DR uh, against, you need s silver slashing weapons to hurt them. And they have decent resistance to both cold and fire. Okay. Okay. Let's do the Mananagal since we're on vampires, and then we'll switch over to the undead soldiers. Religion again? Yeah. Let's see if there's anything to add. 33. So we know they need good or silver weapons to hurt them. We got that already. We know they're vulnerable to light blades. It's been a hot second since we've talked about this, but remember this, they take double base damage on any successful hit with a dagger, comma, kukri, rapier, short sword, sickle, star knives, that kind of thing. we just send Stasi instead of Dora? <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think about the only thing, so uh, like I think Stasi would really categorize a Mananangal as a fucking tank. You should be thinking of the Penangolin because it's kind of a lichy thing, like, she, she can almost guarantee it's going to be a spellcaster of some kind. Yep. The Mananangal you should think of as like a tank, like a disgusting pool, huge pool of hit points, probably hard to hit, probably hits, well, Grip can testify, hits very, very hard. What about its saves? You would not consider them as being weak in any saves. In any save. No. And you know they have flyby attack. Let's see. You get something else here. They've got some spell-like abilities that focus around uh, causing fear and putting people to sleep. Yeah. yeah. Let's see if Barnabas or Stasi recognizes finally these fucking uh, undead soldiers. Also religion? Yeah. Come on. 35. I'm going to use a better one. Stasi's like, oh, I've seen these. I used to be one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Grip's getting dumber and dumber. This is not Grip. It's, it's Barnabas. Oh, Barnabas. Same. Uh, getting dumber and dumber. He's, he's working on his Ray ballad, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Stasi is coming through on the knowledge. Stasi knows a juju zombie when she hears one. Juju zombies are zombies that are specifically made by a divine spellcaster. Based on the description that she's given, Stasi would tell you a story of like, oh, yes, somebody probably killed these people and then immediately cast a gentle repose so their flesh would not rot and then animated them as a juju zombie so they would seem exactly like normal person. Kind of think of juju zombies as uh, smart, fast zombies. They have, they retain all of the abilities of the creature in life unlike a normal zombie. Like, you know, like so a, if they were like a level two fighter, they're a level they, two fighter. They are a level two fighter that suddenly has DR5 overcome by magical slashing weapons. They are immune to cold electricity, magic missiles, and they have fire resistance 10. Ugh. 
but then other one to magic missile go f yourself roni would know these are probably low-level fighters right so you've you've seen them use power attack you've seen them use uh point blank shot so just think of them as like low-level fighters but they're like amped up by zombiness adults anything else you want to ask about Denizens of Lang, have we done that yet? We don't. There was no cleric in all that group that we messed with, that we know of. No cleric you know of yet. No cleric that we know of yet. Gulp. You, uh, there are sure a lot of unholy symbols of Haster floating around. Yeah. I mean, Melison might be a cleric of Haster. I don't know what she is. Hundred percent. You have no clue how she was flying. Right. Which doesn't typically lead you to think divine spellcaster, but you got no clue what she is. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna, do we know what Haster's domains are? Yeah, you would. Let me tell you. Maybe this will connect some dots for you. Putting some specific attention to. I should make you roll it. Two of you, give me your knowledge religion check on Haster. Twenty-three. Same. Okay. Great. This will give you essentially the information you're looking for here and not too much more. Sounds perfect. Hester, the great old one of decadence, disorder, and nihilism. We knew that. His domains are chaos, evil, probably not surprising, rune, R-U-N-E, and void, with the subdomains of dark tapestry, language, stars, and wards. His favored weapon is is the rapier a weapon you have seen so many of these dandy cultists wielding and the symbol his holy symbol of course is the yellow sign it may be possible that all of these roguey rogue types may actually be clerics of haster or cleric rogues or you know multi-classed into mm-hmm. different kinds of archetypes that would Nothing make use that of screams of flight though uh, as Stasi and Barnabas are putting their heads together. They do know that the third level domain spell for the void domain is uh, is fly. Great. Second level is levitate, first level is featherfall. So it does seem as though that entire domain is based around, you know, crossing through the cold darkness between the stars, flight to other worlds, flying across planets, or summoning monsters from beyond to do your bidding. So she might be a cleric of house. She might be a high level cleric of cluster. Any last questions we want to ask of these two before we turn them over to the keep to take ch- help take charge of the folks there? Literally, almost to hurt everything requires a magic weapon or like a silver weapon or a silver slashing weapon or a silver good weapon or a good silver magical weapon. Yeah. And we have no way of making weapons magical. And we, like, we have a handful of like silver daggers. And we have like the weapon blanche silver, but that's only good for one hit. So, like the silver sheen. Oh, oh an oil of silver sheen. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, awesome. Okay, I misunderstood that. Silver sheen gives a weapon the properties of alchemical silver for one hour. Oh, that's pretty huge. Okay. Replacing the properties of any other special material it might have. I don't think we're at that point yet. Uh, one vial could coat a single melee weapon or 20 units of ammunition if it comes to it. So, ship arrives. You check in with folks. Skywind makes sure that things are safe in the town. Here's this report about all the, the chaos and confusion and everything last night, but that you're starting to gather the town 
up in the fort? Is that the... And Grip will relay the message to Skywin as well that yeah. he got about the, the, the shipment. Oh, the 10th or the 11th? What's today? Today's the 8th. So you've got access to Skywin and her ship for a handful of remaining days. In terms of all the people that she's holding on her ship, you want to encourage them to stay there, head up to the fort. What's the, uh, what's the plan with... I'm guessing Skywin will not leave her ship unattended, right? Correct. Um, I, I would almost tell them to sail off again at night. But that maybe if anybody who wants to stay in the fort is welcome to. Any Don't come back till the eleventh. <laughs> oh, oh. Are, are we? Are we? Interesting. So missing a resource if we're not checking in with them every day. Have we established that we've diminished Mellison's numbers and plan enough that people could go back to their homes and and huddle up? lock themselves in their homes so that they're not all in one place, either the ship or the fort. I will say this. It has been, at this point now, 15 hours or so since the tail end of last night's things, and it is seem as, as though they sealed themselves up in Iris Hill and are just hunkering in. Like There has been no sign, no word of any forays out, any weird or strange stuff. The number of victory points achieved last night seemed sufficient to, for the moment, cow them. Cow them convince them that they don't want to leave there again yeah and risk well i mean because the last time they left yeah you just walked in all behind their shit them up. exactly yeah. exactly and then we killed other kuru on the way out sure did sure did so i think the, all of the at this point and then after spending an entire day out on the lake in the in what is now a very cramped ship i think everybody like if we think about all the briarstone survivors with the fort now being an option that was already something that half of them were clamoring for anyways uh, i think they would be pushing at this point to, to get off the ship for the first time in book two sure and get up to the fort i think the point about maybe some folks could and would want to go back to their homes certainly you know you you specifically had a whole bunch of the high level meta thinking yeah. wise folks again they would want to go back and check on their homes and families and stuff and if it seems to be like the vibe right now is they're holed up and you're planning to go in after them there might be a little bit of dispersing so maybe the Briarstone folks to the fort with the backup buddies and then send Skywin away telling her to come back on the 10th or 11th guess so i mean this all just feels so i know it feels real like, right she can decide well, that for herself yeah, yeah. She's I, I, i'm literally like looking at this going like thinking about the amount of cure stuff that we have going like how are we gonna f- survive another giant fight that's the part where i'm just like i don't know how we do it yeah well don't get hit <laughs> <laughs> play smart you'll be fine uh-huh uh-huh yeah i guess so all right we can also ask Stabwick to prepare healing but it's then, up to them if they do. But you but know. then you lose the offensive yeah, that's, abilities. If we are to return to Iris Hill, when and how? Well, we want to go during the day, right? When the vampires are not vampiring. So we'll call it we'll call it like six now, <laughs> right? Because Dabs had to had to do the meditation at mm-hmm. five, and you could probably be meeting the ship as Dabs is finishing up and starting this exodus up the hill. So we're all gathering back up and... Um, so the soonest would be dawn of the ninth. Or overnight. No. Oh, we're going in the daytime, yes. So you, you certainly, you can precede midnight 
but you're not able to proceed nightfall. Yes, and, and one of the Mananangolo Penangolin um, transforms at dusk and the other at midnight, so yep. we're hoping to avoid both, so the soonest to, to uh, catch them both in their not-undead form would be dawn of the ninth. If you want to wait that long, yes. Oh. It's always the question of, like, do we get put on the back foot? How much more daylight do we have today? Mm, not much. An hour. But, but if we Maybe do go, if we do go at night, there is the chance that we meet the torso and the legs separate from the Mananangol and the Penangolin and get to kill them that way, which True. is something True. I desperately, as a player and as a PC, <laughs> hope to happen. But uh, seems unlikely. Though they're probably both upstairs at the stables, which is the only place we didn't go and investigate that wasn't underground. Well, let's decide. Are we going tonight or are we going to go tomorrow? That's the first question. Yep. I'm torn. I am too. Things I feel, will I feel... undoubtedly happen if we delay. That is just the sort of GM that Rob is. <laughs> I say we go now. <laughs> we have we have an hour of daylight before it gets dark. I say we go now. I think that staying overnight, waiting until tomorrow, will only make whatever we do worse. I think we will end up draining more resources than if we go now. I don't think that we're the only thing that's the only things that are going to happen between now and tomorrow are a few points of ability damage for Dora, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, if we wanted to take eight more hours, then I could finally have point blank shot. But I don't know that plus one to hit from thirty feet is going to make a huge difference. Episode one fifteen. Yes, the the waiting until dawn is not about re- is not really about gaining more resources, it's about gaining an advantage over the Mananangol and the Penangolin. Right, and right now, right now, there we still have that advantage. You have the advantage with the Penangolin. Different one. If, if Dabs yeah. has prepared spells, then the Mananangol is active. Yeah. At oh, dusk. we have dusk. to wait till dusk for, for it to, to get happen. both of oh, them. Oh, okay, I misunderstood. I thought it was... Form, it was... But 100%, the Penangolin does not happen... Till midnight. Till midnight. I'm fine going now if that's what the consensus is. I see the sense of it. So we're taking the fight to Iris Hill? Yes. 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 All right. We'll see how that goes next time. That's the end of chapter 74. <coughs> oh, <gosh. coughs> Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes, along with additional music, composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. WTPK. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Two tag. Season good. two tag. <laughs>